TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. And happy Bears Tuesday to all of you here in the Chicago area. The Chicago Bears Division Champions. Bears. 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 I've got my Brian Erlocker jersey on. Brady's got his Bears shirt on. What a game it was last night. Neil Malone and Brady Stiff here in for the coach and Joel. Two guys and a mic on TalkZone.com. We're on Facebook. Search two guys and a mic and on Twitter, the number two and the words guys, Mike, that's on Twitter, 888-463-6748 if you want to join in at any point during the show. Brady and I will break down everything we can possibly say about the Bears game from last night. Then we'll be joined by Derek Schultz from XL 950 Sports Talk in Indianapolis. He will talk to us about all things Indiana, really. Hoosiers, Hoosiers. Colts, Pacers. Uh, anything like that. And then we will be joined by uh, Ben Heisler of MLB Network Radio on XM Radio. Talk a little baseball with him. But first, it's the Bears. Bears. And Brady, what were, your, uh, what were your thoughts about the game overall first? I was really impressed overall. I thought you know they, they might come out and play a, a similar game to the one they played last Sunday against New England because of the field conditions, because of the weather conditions. But, and maybe, I mean, the, the difference in the Patriots and the Vikings is vast um absolutely so i think part of it was you know they played a lesser team and they played better because they played a lesser team but still you had a chance you were set up by the new england patriots to clinch the division on the national stage and they did it they performed they delivered i mean it's it's not the bears we're used to we're used to them stumbling we're used to them not performing up to expectations but they've exceeded everyone's expectations this year yeah, it was a complete win on the offensive side, on the defensive side. And, you know, if you know me, you know that I'm, I don't, I don't want to say superstitious when it comes to sports, but I usually take a pessimistic view just so I don't jinx my team. You're, or just you're so, a Cubs fan though. Come exactly. On. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the way, that's the way, uh, I've been taught to look at things uh, being a Cubs fan. But even I yesterday said on the show, and if you're listening to two guys in a mic yesterday, I was previewing this Bears, Vikings game, I just didn't see how they were possibly going to lose that game. Now, I didn't expect them to go out and win 40-14, to but with all the factors, uh, I just thought the Bears had the advantage. Did I get maybe a little bit concerned when Brett Favre uh, trotted out there to start the football game? Yeah, a little bit, um, but because I was expecting Joe Webb. But either way, uh, it was just it was a complete football game, and it was more than I could have asked for. It was a great performance uh, in in a crazy atmosphere in, uh, in at TCF Bank Stadium. You got the feeling though that as soon as Brett Favre trotted out there, he wasn't going to last long. Because no, yeah. <laughs> whether whether it was going to be the field with the weather, you know, an injury that knocked him out of the game, I just had the feeling that he was not going to be out there long. And thanks to Corey Wooten, he wasn't. Yeah, Corey Wooten of all people, the the guy who's been you know inactive. More than half the year, uh, the rookie from Northwestern. You know, he. I think he has the potential to be a beast. But it was funny that he ended up being the guy um, that did it. Brian Urlacher was asked after the game about it, and 
And he's like, oh, he'll probably get fined. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he probably will. I mean, he knocked out Brett Favre. But, I mean, his hand, his arm was still purple, right? I mean, I, I you couldn't see it on TV because he had the purple sleeve on, but uh, Erlacher was saying that his arm was still purple for most of the game. His hand, I mean, yeah, he's shaking off his hand, you know, after after a first quarter pass. I mean, that's that's when you got the idea that he was there. He had no business being out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, do I think it was foolish to go out there for his personal safety? Probably so. But this is a guy that that's just not the way he's done it. This uh, guy, you know, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second, but that's not the way he's done it, you know, his entire career, whether it's 18 years ago or whether it's yesterday. I mean, he just does not give up. Um, And the question now should be asked, uh, have we seen the last of him? I think probably so. Um, I watched his – did you catch his uh, post-game press conference last night? Yeah. Yeah, he – at first he started off by almost – he misspoke a little bit and almost said – since this is my last game, but then he was like, if it's my last game, right. it seemed like he kind of misspoke and caught himself. But then as the press conference went on, it seemed like he was almost a little bit more at peace with the fact that this could be it. Yeah, he was talking about you know his career in the past tense, and yeah, you just got the feeling that this was the last we are going to see of Brett Favre, finally. I mean, it, it's been, what, three or four years in the making now, and finally, he may be done what are they going to cover next year i don't know yeah, what, what's bes- rachel nichols going to do is she going to have a job uh, yeah besides the lockout probably but uh by the way we'll, we'll get into the lockout and that situation a little bit me and my buddies had a good debate last night but back to the game yeah but uh i, I don't know what they're what they're possibly i don't know what john gruden and ron jaworski are going to have to go crazy about i i i will say i am highly entertained watching those two uh, and listening to them on Monday Night Football, but are they over the top or what? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's John Gruden. He's you, Chucky. He's over the top. I mean, and Jaws too. He's just they, those two feed off each other. I I watched the game with the sound down most of the night, but I mean, I can only imagine. I mean, a couple of the radio shows I was listening to on the way in here this morning were uh, Danny Mac and, and Matt Spiegel were forcing themselves not to talk about these yeah. guys until a certain time. I, I do have to say, I I could listen to them talk about the Bears like that all day. As long as they're good things, I could listen right. to John Gruden. This guy, Julius Peppers, he is the best football player I've ever seen in my entire life. He gave me life. nightmares for God knows how <laughs> yeah. many years. I hope I never see Brian Urlacher ever again. <laughs> like, it's just, I, I could listen to him talk about the Bears all day because it's my team. But when it... But you know when when I hear him talking about Brett Favre or I don't know I, just all the Aaron Rodgers talk, it's like okay, TV off, <laughs> yeah, sound off, turn on Jeff Joniak and Tom there. But but back to kind of the X and O's of the game. I mean, very good start for Minnesota that first drive. Uh, I was concerned. I know you mentioned you were as well. Toby Gerhardt was kind of just running all over us, which is not something our defense um, you know usually has done to them, but. But after that, uh, it, the Bears really seemed to respond. Jay Cutler made some, I mean, some incredible throws. The throw I mean, the to t- Knox. Yeah, the throw to Knox, the, just the tightest windows. I mean, that is what Cutler can do. That is the type of arm he has. The question is, is he ever going to shed that stubborn 
that that sort of stubborn attitude towards getting better mechanically. I mean, I think that is going to be in the end his downfall if, if he doesn't want to get better mechanically, step into his throws, uh then then I think that could really hinder the Bears down the stretch. I've always noticed that when Cutler has time to set his feet and mechanically be mechanically correct uh with his throws, he does not miss. He's a very very accurate quarterback. But when he gets on his back foot, he's got the arm strength to where, you know, he can get away with some of those throws. Yeah. And we saw that. We've seen that in the two years, you know, that Cutler's been here. He's gotten away with a lot of throws. But he's also been uh, hampered by, you know, throwing off his back foot. And part of that is, you know, not having the time. Part of that is just his – and they, people uh, people compare him to Brett Favre a lot of times with his gunslinger mentality. Yep. How many times have we heard that phrase uh, when you're talking about Brett Favre and Jay Cutler? So you, you put these guys in the same boat, and in a lot of senses they are because they, they take risks. Jay Cutler takes a lot of risks. He throws from awkward positions, and he does what he try, he tries to do what he can to get the job done. In a way, in some ways that's admirable. In other ways, you wish he right. would take the sack sometimes. Yeah, it can go either way. And you know, the, the best part about the last 24 hours of coverage of that game was. Whether it was Steve Young or Trent Dilfer, you could just sense in their, uh, it, it sort of in their voices that they always, they've always wanted the arm that Jay Cutler has. And Trent Dilfer even admitted it. He's like, I don't know. He's like, I wish I had that arm. He's like, but you could sort of sense the ire in their voices because they don't know why he doesn't adapt the, the, I guess, football purist mechanics of the quarterback position. Um, so, so we'll see if he ends up doing that, but it's not that he can't do it because he can do it. It's just oftentimes he doesn't. Nonetheless, though, Jay Cutler, uh, becomes or gets to go to the playoffs for the first time since his time at Heritage Hills High School. Yeah, it's down in, uh, in the Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Indiana. Santa Claus, Indiana area. That's the first time he has, uh, he has made the playoffs since then. No bowl games at Vanderbilt. Nothing in Denver so far, so congratulations to him. I mean, he's got the talent. He's the type of talent that should belong in in the playoffs every year. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's given his talents and his arm strength and his abilities. He's a top-tier quarterback in this league. It's just he hasn't been able to harness that ability and channel it towards making good plays all the time, a la Peyton Manning, a la Tom Brady. So, I mean... We'll see what he does in the playoffs now. I mean, we've we've yet to see what he can do in the playoffs. And he's Are gonna... you worried? Yes. Me too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... Not not necessarily just because of Jay Cutler, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah, I I just think that that it's going to be interesting to see how Jay responds to a playoff atmosphere. I, I mean, I don't. Th- on one hand, I I don't think it will affect him at all, and on, then on the other hand, it. I just don't know if he's gonna, you know, make a make a old Jay Cutler appearance. Yeah, um, the older new Jay Cutler. But then again, I didn't know what Rex Grossman was gonna do in the playoffs uh, in 2006, and we went yeah. all the way to the Super Bowl. True. Um. So, but so that was interesting, and it was also interesting to see him throw four touchdown passes this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at Rexy. Unbelievable. But another guy we should talk about from last night is Devin Hester, and let me just start by asking. Why do you kick to this guy? Why? I don't know. I can't I can't answer that question because he's going to beat you eventually if you keep kicking to him. He had 
one touchdown last night. Should have had two. Probably could have had three. Yeah. And he would have shattered Brian Mitchell's well, record. He had two touchdowns last night, but one, True. Re- one right. return. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, and he didn't, on, the, on his touchdown, he he ran straight forward. Nobody touched him. Nobody made him cut. I mean, that's part of playing on an icy field. Is yep. the, the defenders are at a disadvantage. But the fact that he just ran straight forward and had an opportunity to run straight forward is, I mean, the Vikings should be kicking themselves, even though they're out of it. You know, they don't really care or whatever. But you let this guy do what he does best. That's one thing you should be able to prevent is Devin Hester catching the ball on a punt, and you can't do it. Yeah, you, that's that's a variable you can control during the game is unless you're Matt Dodge, the Giants punter, because you can't kick it out of bounds. Uh, but, you know, if you're an NFL punter, you should be able to direct the ball wherever, you know, you want it to go, and that should be away from Devin Hester if you're playing the Bears. I just I, I don't understand why they continue to do this. I mean, this guy, all it takes, with his vision and speed, all it takes is that one cut that you saw. Um, and, and one block and one cut, and, and he's it, gone. And I was I was a little worried when I saw the laundry on the field on that play, but then it was the the illegal shift. Right. But, uh, I, that is the one thing I I did miss. I didn't have the sound on. I was I was at a bar uh, watching the game, I, so I didn't hear Gruden's um, comments after after Devin Hester's uh, little I didn't run e- there. I didn't either. So I, how about his uh, post game press conference though? Get a little, get a little emotional yeah, there. Yeah, he teared up, and I, you know, it was really, it was admirable to, uh, to hear that. Uh, Neil Malone and Brady Stiff on Two Guys and Mike Talkzone dot com, uh, but it was admirable to see that because he, he was getting emotional because he was getting all the recognition and the, the guys blocking for him weren't, and I think, you know, he wanted to give them a little recognition. I like that. So sure, yeah, it was, it was nice to see. You know, you think of Devin Hester, and you know, it's. He's the best at what he does, no doubt about it. And he's able to step back and, and take a look at, you know, how he's able to get there. And it's the it's not just, you know, him. It's this whole special teams unit. I mean, Craig Stelts I saw on, on one play out front making some blocks. So good for Devin Hester on the record. Good for him for giving some credit to, um, you know, the rest of his teammates. Because he obviously cares. He wouldn't have choked up like that if he didn't care. No, absolutely. So it was great to see from him. Uh, well, we're just getting started here on this Bears-Vikings talk. We'll talk a little bit more about maybe where the Bears are headed in the next two games and into the playoffs. And we'll also talk with uh, Derek Schultz about all things Indiana, as well as Ben Heisler later on in the show about baseball. We'll take a quick break here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Neil Malone and Brady Stiff back in a moment.
Welcome back to Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Neil Malone alongside Brady Stiff in for the coach, John Cohn, today. We'll get to some Indiana Hoosiers talk and some baseball talk later, but we're breaking down the Bears-Vikings game from last night. Bears, Bears. Bears victorious 40-14 to at TCF Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. Big surprise, Brett Favre gets knocked out of the game with an injury. And so Joe Webb was the primary quarterback after all. What were your thoughts on Mr. Webb, the rookie out of UAB? 6'4", 220. Looks like he could be a good wide receiver, but uh, I don't know about the quarterback position. Yeah, he was kind of, I mean, he was average at best. I mean, he wasn't anything special. He made some good throws, made some plays with his legs. You know, it's kind of what we expected from him, being a uh, a dual threat kind of guy. Uh, what do you rush for? Like over a thousand yards, threw for over two thousand at UAB. Is that was that his claim to fame there? I haven't been kept abreast on Joe Webb's college statistics. I can look them up if you want. But last night, fifteen for twenty six, hundred and twenty nine yards, a couple picks. Yeah, uh, rushed for thirty eight yards and a touchdown. You can see that he's a very very good athlete. That one play where it looked like the Bears were going to sack him about five times, and he <laughs> escaped uh, the rush every single time. Uh, that was a pretty impressive play from Joe Webb. But um, the Vikings have quarterback issues, to say the least, yes. going forward. And I don't know what they're going to do. Is T-Jack the uh, – <laughs> is he the answer? I don't know. If that's the answer, I think Vikings fans are screaming for help because, I mean, he's – Tavares Jackson is such a good athlete. It's just can he play quarterback in the NFL? And you played one game, he played really well. The next game, not so much. And he took them to the playoffs one year, didn't he? So was it the playoffs, or did they just have a, a, a nice season? I think they might have just had a nice season. Um, I, I'm still saying they shouldn't have gotten rid of Sage Rosenfels. That's what I'm still saying. I mean, that guy, I know he had a, a couple struggles there down in Houston, but he actually had some really good games. He can throw the ball, and he's a lot more of a typical NFL quarterback uh, than, than Tarveris Jackson or Joe Webb is. So... I know quarterbacks like that, like Michael Vick, can can make it in this league, but that's Michael Vick. Right. Um, it's, that's a special, special. And he's improved. He's exactly. gotten monumentally better. And he can he has one of the biggest cannons of an arm in the entire league. I mean, he can put it in there with accuracy, whereas Tarveris Jackson, I mean, he can't throw the ball that well. Right. I mean, Michael Vick flicks his wrist and the ball goes 60 yards, so... That's sort of a one-in-a-million type of talent. You know, when you got his legs and the arm and, you know, the improvement that we've yep. seen from Michael Vick, I mean, that doesn't happen very often. Well, yesterday on the show, I talked about all the breaks the Chicago Bears have gotten this year, because they have. Yep. Week one, yeah. Week one, Calvin Johnson's touchdown should have beat him uh, for the Lions. You had, uh, you had Tyler Thigpen starting for the Dolphins that one week. You had... Drew Stanton in the next week, or uh, a couple weeks after that. Todd Collins throws four picks and wins. Todd Collins throws four picks, and and we just so happen to, you know, thank God we're playing Carolina that week. Uh, And then yesterday, you know, there's the Favre injury, the Joe Webb deal, no Adrian Peterson. Um, So... So I know we've gotten a lot of the breaks, but but the Bears' defense is still very good. Yesterday they came up with three interceptions, two fumbles uh, recovered, and four sacks. That's pretty productive, and that's that that needs to be uh, sort of the bar that is set for this team to be successful down the stretch. Well, think about 2006, and they went to the Super Bowl. What took them to the Super Bowl? It was the defense, and it's. It's I hate saying, you know, it's what the Bears are known for because I take 
teams on a year-to-year basis. What's the identity of the team on a year-to-year basis? But there's no question that this year it's defense. And Brian Erlacher coming back, having a phenomenal season. Yep. A phenomenal season. You add Julius Peppers, there you go, 54. Uh, a pro bowler, without a doubt. Both of these guys, really. Mm-hmm. Peppers and Erlacher both played well last night. Erlacher's flying around the field. Did he have an interception? I think he did. Or was it wiped uh, it was out called with the back. Yeah, it was called back. Right. But Peppers had an interception. Uh, was he got eight and a half, nine sacks now? Sort of quietly, too, because teams pay a ton of attention to him that he gets his sacks sort of quietly. Yeah, he, Brian Erlacher, 112 tackles this season, two forced fumbles, uh, and just actually one pick. Still, uh, still, I mean, just the yeah. way he's, I mean, you look at those numbers and they don't tell you how well he's played this year. No, and I think he'll make the Pro Bowl again because a lot of people are saying he's having the, his best season in a while. I think Charles Tillman's going to make the Pro Bowl. Uh, really? He got, a, he got another interception. Uh, I believe he's having a Pro Bowl year. Um, so, and Israel Donage, the emergence of him. I mean, this guy is an absolute beast. Uh, so, so all those guys combined with you know with guys that are just rock solid like Anthony Adams, Lance Briggs, Chris Harris, all these guys I really, really like on the Bears defense. How about Major Wright making an impact? Major Wright making an impact, probably gonna get fined for that that hit on Joe Webb uh <laughs> helmet to helmet, but uh but I like his I, I kinda like his tenacity and he's been playing pretty well. A lot of guys got some Got some uh, experience on defense, and even go down to like guys like Brian Ewu. Yeah. Brian Ewu forced a fumble last night uh, that the Bears, that Matt Toina ended up recovering. So they're really deep, and I think uh, they're going to have to play out of their minds down the stretch because we're not going to be getting three touchdowns and you know 300 yards from Jay Cutler uh, every game. I mean, uh, if Cutler just learns to limit the turnovers and play just an okay game. You know, play play a good game. Right. And it, it, it's hard to say you want to turn him into a game manager because he's so much right. more than that. He can be so much more than that. But he's got to let the defense win the game for him. Right. He's got to take what the defense gives him. And during this, this good stretch that the Bears have won, what, eight of nine, um, he's, he's taken what the defense has given him. How many times have we seen uh, Jay Cutler drop back just two steps, recognize a blitz, and get it out to a hot read, yep. whether it's Earl Bennett or Greg Olson. I mean, that's a phenomenal part of his game is his recognition and ability to do that. And the receivers have done a nice job of adjusting to that and making the reads along with Jay and recognizing when it's going to come. Yeah, we still don't have that number one receiver, I guess, but it seems to be working out uh, right now. Neil Malone and Brady Stiff with you on Two Guys and a Mike TalkZone.com. If you want to call, please do 888-463-6748 or 888-GO-FOR-IT. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, one thing I wanted to say before we move away from the Bears talk is is looking forward. Obviously, the Bears have clinched a playoff spot. They've clinched the division title, but they still have the New York Jets at Soldier Field next week and then the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau. And I don't care if it's Matt Flynn. I don't care if it's Aaron Rodgers. If you go up to Lambeau, you're going to have a very, very tough time. Uh, I think these these two games are just monumental not even in terms of the the bears playoff positioning but just in terms of momentum going forward and confidence because these are two teams that if they play at their best the jets and the packers they can really lower your confidence and drive you into sure. the ground before the playoffs begin i think if they if they can beat the jets next week uh which is a distinct possibility with the jets struggles on offense um you know you're you're going to be able to rest guys in the packer game and it's the packer game is not going to matter because they will have clinched all they can clinch. I mean, they, if they win next week, 
They clinch the number two seed. They clinch the first round by. They clinch home field through the NFC Championship game. Yep. I mean, you've clinched all you can clinch. Why would you play these guys for more than a series, if at all, in the Packer game? Well, and, God, I hate to, to get into the resting players thing because I don't want to look uh, too far ahead with this right. Bears team. Right. But, but last year, I distinctly remember, and I think I was, I was hosting this show uh, at about the same time last year, and I was talking about resting players, and the Colts, they did rest their players, and they lost, I think, the, the last week. And the Saints didn't rest their players, and they still Come lost. On. So it was like it was one of those things where I just I don't I don't really know which way you go because look the you ul- don't the you don't want to take away momentum. Well, the ultimate goal is to win the Super Bowl, right? Right. Every year, right? Correct. So you can't do that if Jay Cutler is out with a broken leg. You can't do that if Brian Urlacher breaks his wrist again. Yeah, but I also think you know. You're killing yourself if you're putting Jim Sorgi out there or, or Todd Collins or whatever the final week. I think that totally throws it off. I do. Uh, I I disagree because I still think the ultimate goal is to make it to the Super Bowl, and you can't you can't. I mean, especially this year with all the injuries, with all the crazy things that have happened. I mean, you can't put yourself at risk. You can't put your your livelihood at risk. I agree. There's a risk management thing, and I I do agree with that. It, obviously, and especially against the Packers. It's a rivalry game. One of them could be looking to, you know, to jack up Jay Cutler in that last game. I do agree with that, but I'm just saying there hasn't been a proven proven track record in the past that resting your players really does uh, that much good. I just, I don't, I'm not saying it's gonna, you know, make them healthy and get them extra rest. I You're just, saying I just, it limits risk. the risk. Yeah, it limits risk. I think yeah. the ultimate goal. You got to keep the ultimate goal in mind. The Bears' offensive line. Before we move on. Uh, Derek Schultz from XL950 Sports Talk in, Indi- in Indianapolis, actually in Franklin, just outside of Indianapolis. He'll be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, but the Bears' offensive line only gave up one sack last night. Uh, that I mean, that's that's the type of performance we're going to need. Here's the thing with the offensive line. Teams have proven that if you blitz and blitz heavily, that the Bears cannot stop it. So it's up to Jay to get the ball out quickly. Right. It's up to Mike March to call quick-hitting plays that allow Jay to make a quick read and get the ball out quickly because if he takes five- and seven-step drops, he has no chance as, as long as the other team blitzes because the Bears can barely handle a four-man rush, let alone bring in six or seven. So I think with teams like the Jets, who are very creative on defense, they love to blitz, um, Rex Ryan will bring that defense full force into Chicago on Sunday. I think if... If the Bears face a team like that in the playoffs, they're in trouble. Yep. Because they they can't handle it, and it, it affects the running game and it affects the passing game. We saw the early part of the game last night against the Vikings. Matt Forte was bottled up wherever he went. He eventually asserted himself, 94 yards I think on 17 carries, a yep. really nice game. But in the early part of the game, it looked like the Bears were not going to be able to run the ball, and that's largely in part due to teams blitzing and sending more than the block than the Bears can handle. And I think that is where the Bears must exploit the Blitzers with screen plays. The Bears run screen passes better than any team in the league. They've gone a- away from it a yeah, little bit really more have. recently. Yeah. Um, I, as a Matt Forte fantasy owner, I remember you know three weeks in a row earlier in the season where Forte would rush for 20 yards, but he'd have 110 yeah. yards receiving just off these screen plays. And I think when you get to those overzealous or over-aggressive defenses, 
that blitz a lot, that's when you incorporate the screen. Uh, so they do have that, and, and Jay Cutler and Matt Forte and Chester Taylor uh, and the offensive line, they do execute well. But only giving up one sack to Jared Allen, the Williams wall, uh, Ray Edwards. I know he was a little banged up, but that's that's pretty good, uh, and you're going to have to keep Jay upright. If E.J. Henderson had a nice game, though. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, Minnesota does not have a bad defense, so the fact that the offensive line did did well in that game was a definite good sign. Neil Malone and Brady Stiff here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. You can find us on Facebook, search Two Guys and a Mic, and on Twitter, 888-463-6748. Quickly, did you, uh, did you happen to see this moment in the game, and you might have missed it because so you said you were out at a bar, um, there was a guy who got on the field, a fan who ran on the field. Did you happen to see that? I did not. They, uh, they, you know, they normally don't show the fan on the field uh, because they don't want to encourage that sort of thing. But this guy, he's a, a a guy in a red coat, managed to slip past security somehow, and as the play was ending, uh, decided to jump right in the huddle, basically right in the pile, and start you know talking with the guys. <laughs> I mean, how does it? How does a guy like that get past? Field security and make his way to the middle of the field without yeah, I know. anybody tackling him yeah, you or al- tasing him. You always wonder. Uh, I don't know. That was such a hodgepodge operation yesterday at the <laughs> yeah. at TCF Bank Stadium. It sure maybe there's maybe the security personnel wasn't uh, totally intact. Uh, but but definitely a great win for the Chicago Bears once again, 40 to 14 last night over the Vikings. Could be Brett Favre's last game. But we're gonna shift gears at the moment. We're gonna bring in. Uh, Derek Schultz from XL950 uh, in Indianapolis, actually in Franklin. And Derek, how are, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing all right. Have you recovered from the John Gruden-Jaworski combo last night uh, with with Brett Favre, Devin Hester, Julius Peppers? I mean, I, it seems like they were going insane last night. Yeah, well, as a Giants fan, I still don't think I've recovered from whatever happened on Sunday there with that complete meltdown. But, yeah, the uh, when Favre threw the first touchdown pass, I really just thought that Bristol, Connecticut would implode into itself, <laughs> and it, it, luckily it didn't, I guess, for some of us. Uh, but yeah, you know, very impressed with the Bears last night, and I think the crew did a nice job giving them the credit that they deserved. And, you know, it, it's time for people to realize that this is a pretty good football team. Uh, for whatever reason, I think the Bears get unfairly labeled because with Rex Grossman in the past couple of years, and then with Cutler, of course, last year, uh, they were prone to make a lot of mistakes and be very sloppy at times, but the fact of the matter is this is a, a terrific defense. Lovey Smith's probably the coach of the year in the NFL, and, and it's about time now in, in, what, week 16 that we, we give this team some credit, the credit that they well deserve. Derek Brady, stay fair. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Uh, I was listening to your show a little bit yesterday, and you were talking about sports fan ethics and, and texting you know, your buddies who are maybe fans of different teams. Do you think as Bears fans we're allowed to text Packer fans and say, you know, we, we won the division, you guys suck? Uh, I think it's okay. You know, it, it, the thing is that uh, trash talking is part of sports. I mean, that's what makes it so fun. It's, not, it's almost like your teams are a representation of you, and uh, I love sending text messages like that and, and talking smack to friends. Uh, what I was basing that on yesterday's show about was after heartbreaking, kick you in the groin, rip your heart out losses, a la what happened to the Giants in their collapse against the Eagles or say what happened to the Bears in the Super Bowl against the Colts, oh. that those kind of occasions are off limits to say anything, you know, give it a couple of days. And 
obviously you're going to get texts from some people, even friends, that don't follow that etiquette, but that's an etiquette that I've always followed. But, yeah, you know, it, it, the only exception to that rule is that if somebody brings it upon themselves, then you can unleash all the fury that you want. So if you've had a, a really mouthy friend that's a big Packers fan, Feel free to say whatever you want to today. Fair enough. Yeah, there's definitely a happy medium. Neil Malone and Brady Stiff, uh, two guys on a mic on TalkZone.com. Joining us right now is the Afternoon Drive host, Derek Schultz, XL950 uh, in the Indianapolis area. Derek, uh, big news on the IU football front. And, yes, we're bringing up IU football. Uh, they name the co-defensive coordinators in the last few days. They've got Mike Eckler, who is the Nebraska linebackers coach most recently, and Doug Mallory, who uh, spent some time as the defensive coordinator at New Mexico. Both have some pretty impressive pasts. What are your thoughts on the hires? Oh, I like it, uh, I, and I'm a big fan of Kevin Wilson. I think with the way that the hires went, it was very peculiar because Indiana hires Wilson, and then days later... Florida ends up with Mitch Muschamp, who, you know, as, as great of a coordinator he's been, you know, not a guy that's an established head coach by any means. And then I thought Miami, even though I'm a big Al Golden fan, reached a little bit for him there out of Temple. And, you know, 10 years ago, Miami would have never looked at a Temple head coach or a Mac head coach to fill their vacancy. So I actually thought that Indiana got a steal with Kevin Wilson, and I'm glad that Fred Glass, and the athletic department is allowing Wilson to spend what he wants to spend, bring in the guys that he wants to bring in, like Mallory and the other guys you mentioned that were hired yesterday, instead of just assigning, you know, line coaches and defensive back coaches and, and things like that and really trying to pinch every penny with those guys. Because I, I think one of the downfalls, don't get me wrong, I mean, Gary DiNardo was an awful head coach. Uh, Bill Lynch was a nice guy, but I thought he was a little bit in over his head. Cam Cameron was a disaster. But I think part of the reason why those guys were not set up to succeed was because Indiana didn't do a, a very good job in making sure that they had all of these assets and coaches that they wanted that were experienced guys, that were qualified guys there in place. So I was happy to hear the news, and I'm glad that Indiana is setting Kevin Wilson up to succeed. Derek, that's a great point you make about uh, Indiana allowing uh, Kevin Wilson to do his own thing because Neil and I are both Indiana grads. We've seen the disaster that has been IU football in the last few years. Uh, uh, what, one question I have though is is why co-defensive coordinators? Why not give the title to one guy? Is there, I mean, is it was there some sort of significance in having co-defensive coordinators? I'm not sure about that. Some teams do it. Uh, Notre Dame's done it before. They did it a couple of years ago, and in, in the last years of the Weiss era with Corwin Brown and John Tenuta, and it kind of with mixed results, but I think it's one of those things that I think the players don't really read into it too much, but the fans and the media do when they see two coaches and they think, oh, well, are they going to get their signals crossed and who's running the show and is one guy saying something that the other guy isn't, things like that. Um, Kevin Wilson's only going to do what he thinks is best for the program, so if he wants to bring in two guys, you know the old saying, two heads are better than one. We'll see if it ends up working out. I, I, I don't really bat an eyelash at co-anything, and in, even defensive coordinators. In fact, I, I think it might be a little bit more encouraging for IU fans, considering that Kevin Wilson's background is almost strictly as an offensive coach, to bring in two guys to run that defense, knowing that that's really where his shortfall is. Derek Schultz joining us from XL950 in the Indianapolis area. From the field to the hardwood, IU basketball, a 9-2 and two start, but... 
Derek, as as a fellow Indiana alum, I, I know that you follow the program closely, obviously, and you've seen some of the pancake teams the Hoosiers have played so far. They're starting to get into a stretch before the Big Ten opener where they play at least a couple of programs that have actually done uh, something in the last few years, that being uh, Northern Iowa, New Mexico, teams like that. Um, where where do you see the current state of the IU basketball team? Do you think it's been good for them to, as Tom Crean likes to put it, find out how to win uh, and and get uh, get comfortable with getting these wins under them their belt as opposed to going out and playing some uh, stronger opponents? Yeah, pancakes has been more like a Denny's Grand Slam breakfast. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll go for that. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm usually against the light scheduling, especially when it comes to established teams like Syracuse and UConn have been notorious for that in years past of really going light on the schedule. Remember that Kelvin Sampson team, his last year in 07-08, that non-league schedule was a joke. I think they played at Southern Illinois, and then he played Xavier in a tournament in Chicago, and that was really it. Yeah, I was at uh, that game. That was non- brutal. Yeah, uh, so I think that scheduling wins and getting this team confident was the right thing to do, so I'm not going to attack them too much for the cupcake schedule. But I'm really interested to see what they do in Vegas. Uh, Northern Iowa is a team that has played better. Uh, they're a little bit younger. They lost uh, a couple of seniors, including uh, the, the Farouk Esch kid that hit the big shot against Kansas yeah. from last year's Sweet 16 team. But uh, they won three straight and six of seven. They beat Iowa State. They beat a, a pretty decent TCU team. Uh, I talked to uh, their coach, uh, Ben Jacobson, today. who said that he was pretty confident uh, going out there, and he thinks his team is playing pretty well. So I think it'll be a nice test for Indiana. I think athletically they're much better than they've been. Uh, they pass the ball well. They still just have no interior presence at all, which I think really hurts them. And also I think uh, several players, including Christian Watford, as talented as he is, I think he tries to do too much sometimes. And the offense – it's stagnant. You saw it in the first half at BC. You saw it in that horrific stretch that they had in Kentucky where the wheels completely came off. Uh, I think there are reasons for encouragement and signs of improvement here so far in the non-league. I think we'll learn a little bit more about them this week. If I had to grade the season so far, I'd, I'd probably give it about a B-. minus, Maybe it's slightly above the expectations that I had, but uh, losing – uh, Michelle, like that, with the, the NCAA ruling, which was a head-scratcher for everybody involved, I think really hurt them. And, and even mid-level bigs, uh, you know, a guy like Harrelson at UK, are, are going to tear them up on the inside. So I'd really worried about them on the interior, especially when they get into Big Ten play. And, in fact, they kick things off with Ohio State and, and uh, Jared Solinger. So that should be a fun one, to say the least. Derek, the Hoosiers have lost both of their games away from Assembly Hall. They go to Vegas this week, away from the comforts of home. First of all, I mean, is Vegas going to be a distraction? And how do they play? You know, they were competitive, very competitive in those games against Boston College, against Kentucky. You mentioned before the wheels fell off there in Lexington. Is it, I mean, in the past, it hasn't been the same team at home as it has on the road. What what steps does Tom Crean have to take to make sure that his team plays better than they do at home on the road? Because everyone knows in college basketball, if you can get road wins, you're doing something right. So... How do they have to play? I mean, what what has to change on the road away from Assembly Hall? They have to be better defensively. I, you know, a lot of people were chalking the BC game up as a moral victory. BC scored 88 points in that game. Right. Uh, you know, and, and that's a marginal BC team. I mean, maybe maybe they finish in the in the you know top half of the ACC, but it's probably a stretch to even say that at this point. Uh, so I was happy with the way that they rallied. I was happy with the way they fought back and didn't roll over, but. 
you know, the Boston College game, they didn't play well defensively. And in the Kentucky game late, UK really did whatever they wanted when they went on that big run. And IU's offense, I think, had something to do with that, creating some of those opportunities. But you've just got to defend on the road. Uh, you can you can outscore people at home, but you got to play defense and you got to lock people down on the road. And Vegas, I don't think, is a, a distraction unless you're 21 or older. And uh, IU doesn't have a lot of 21-year-olds on True. that team. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. And plus, they're playing back-to-back nights. Uh, they'll get Northern Iowa, and then they'll get uh, – whatever ends up being the result with Colorado and New Mexico, one of those two teams who are, are both pretty solid, probably on the same level of where Boston College is at, maybe a little bit better. So I'm interested to see what they can do. But, you know, defensively, they're just going to have to get a little bit better. But I like the effort. I, I, I really have. It's just uh, you can't coach size, and they, they don't really have an interior presence. So the team defense and the perimeter defense just have to be that much better, ball denial and things like that, to make up for their lack of an interior presence there. Derek Schultz joining us from XL 950 down in the Indianapolis area. We were talking Hoosiers. Let's move on uh, real quick for you, Derek, to the to the NFL. Uh, something going on down in Indianapolis. Now, they've been improving uh, a little bit uh, in the last few weeks, but uh, definitely more panic than usual on the, the faces of Colts fans. Do you think, and this is just a question that I've always wanted to ask, and hopefully you can shed a little light on it, do you think it's about time for the Colts fans to realize just what they've had for all these years in Peyton Manning? Uh, yes and no. Um, do I get angry when people say, well, I'm not going to the game because they're just, you know, they're not going to be a 12 win team and I'm going to sell my tickets? Yeah, I get angry about that. But the whole spoiled thing, I've never really bought into. Um, you know, a, a good example is that if I buy a Mercedes, I expect more out of my Benz than I do out of a Kia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when, you know, Indianapolis and the Colts and Peyton Manning have raised the bar so high for themselves that I think falling short of expectations to be critical of that, I think is fair game uh, because, you know, they, sh- they should be better than the way that they've played this year. And yes, injuries have been a, a big thing, uh, but Peyton really struggled over that, you know, three, four, five week stretch there where they had some of those ugly losses like the San Diego and the Dallas at home and the loss in New England. And he's played better these last two weeks. This doesn't look like a team that can make a run to me. I think they uh, were, were very fortunate to be in the AFC South this year because this is a division that early on in the season, guys, looked great. I mean, the Titans were 5-2. and two. Right. Uh, they, they knocked off Philly. They went to the Giants and, and won at the New Meadowlands Stadium. Uh, the Texans ran all over the Colts in Week 1. They looked like they were a playoff contender. Uh, Jacksonville was just kind of doing what they usually do, and they're always competitive, but... The wheels have really fallen off for the entire division. Uh, Jacksonville's about the worst 8-5 and five team in NFL history. Uh, Tennessee is, is a disaster, and Houston is just not even trying right now. They're too busy fighting amongst themselves. So the Colts were fortunate because, you know, if they're in the AFC North or they're in the AFC East or they're in any division in the NFC outside of the NFC West, which is a complete dumpster fire, uh, they're not going to the playoffs this year probably. So we'll see. I don't think people want to see the Colts because of what they are able to do, but uh, – you know, wins over the Titans and the Jags and they play the Raiders this week aren't going to do a lot to change my mind about this. I, I, I just don't think, given their situation, given the personnel that they have and all the injuries, that this is a better team than New England or a better team than Baltimore or a better team than Pittsburgh or the Jets. And that's just in the AFC. I'm not even counting the NFC teams. Derek, we appreciate you joining us here on the show. That's Derek Schultz, XL950 down in Indianapolis. Make sure you listen to his show. Uh, is it XL950.com? They can listen online. Yeah, that's right. 
All right, Derek, have a have a good one. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Derek. Anytime, guys. Enjoy that Bears victory. Yes, we will. And so that was Derek Schultz, XL950 in Indianapolis. We'll take a quick break here on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Back with Ben Heisler from MLB Network Radio to talk a little baseball. Brady Stiff and Neil Malone back in one moment. Malone and Brady Stiff back with you on Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. We want to thank our producer, David Olson, today. We were just joined uh, before the break by Derek Schultz from XL950. Also want to thank him for coming on. We talked all things Indiana, and uh, I know that's uh, that would interest our next guest, Ben Heisler from MLB Network Radio on XM Radio. Ben, how are you, and uh, did you were you able to catch any of that Hoosier talk? No, unfortunately, I wasn't. I was uh, fixing up some lunch on a, a rare day off. But uh, there you go. there's Hoosier talk with uh, two guys and a mic, I'm certainly willing to tune in. Yeah, well, we uh, we got some good insight from Derek Schultz, uh, XL950 in Indianapolis, on uh, some of the IU football and IU basketball topics. But uh, how, but let's switch gears for a second here. What did you think of that Bears win? And uh, obviously, you got to be happy. Division championship, Bears. Division championship is something that I would not have associated with the Chicago Bears at the start of the season. And frankly, I mean, you guys are both Bear fans, too, as well. You understand this team. I don't think anybody did. You looked at the defense and said, all right, they're still they still have potential to be maybe a top-ten defense in the league, but they're getting older. You thought the injury bug was going to creep up on a lot of these guys. And the offense, you just had no idea what Jay Cutler was going to show up. We were worried about the receivers. And especially after those first four games of the, of the season, guys, did you think the offensive line – would turn around anywhere to the point that they are now. To me, just the fact that they've put this all together, they've gotten pretty lucky without being injured. Uh, yeah, I'm giving them, I'm giving them the credit they deserve, but they still they still have a little bit more to prove to me. But I, overall, you, you got to be impressed. You got to yep. be happy with it. We were talking a little bit earlier in the show about our concerns going forward for the playoffs. Now that they have clinched the playoff berth, the division, uh, the offensive line is where I, you know, sort of stake my worries. Um, I, I've noticed that. When teams blitz, the Bears' offensive line cannot handle it. And if if the Bears are going to go far in the playoffs, they have to be able to uh, deal with the blitz. And the, the, the offensive line hasn't done it. And, I mean, part of it is, you know, the, the, the defense is just sending more people than the Bears' offensive line can handle. But, I mean, at some point you have to be able to pick up blitzes well enough to give Jay some time to be able to find the open receiver. Yeah, no, Brady, that's a great point. I think... 
two ways that the Bears can combat that is, number one, continuing to establish the running game. Forte and Taylor, that uh, sort of dynamic duo that they thought they would be at the beginning of the year, uh, they've gotten better. The second half has been a major improvement step for them. And the second thing is when Color has actually been very efficient, they did this especially, I remember the Dallas game in week two, where they were really, really efficient is when Dallas kept on ringing in the blitz, they had those short, quick outs, quick slants. Color had three-step drops. I saw a couple times last night at the beginning of the game where Color just started backpedaling. It was almost like a nine-step drop. I'm just yelling at the TV, no, 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 what are you doing? No, stop. Just take three steps and get rid of the football. And, and he just tends to backpedal himself into a lot of sacks, into a lot of situations. He'll throw off his back foot because his, his footwork is just still awful at this point. And a lot of the commentators were talking about that, uh, you know, as to whether or not he wants to establish himself as a great quarterback. Yeah, the blitz is going to be coming, and a lot of teams know that and recognize that the big weakness of this team is the offensive line. But March knows how to adjust. It's just whether or not he's really willing to do so that I think is going to be the biggest key. You've got two guys in a mic on TalkZone.com, Neil Malone and Brady Stiff, being joined by Ben Heisler out there in D.C., MLB Network Radio on XM. Uh, let's switch gears to baseball and uh, keep it in the NL Central uh, the Brewers make a big-time acquisition with Zach Greinke. He finally gets out of KC. Uh, what are you guys saying out there? What do you think of the trade, or what do you think of the uh, the the move for Greinke to, to Milwaukee? Well, it's funny. We were talking with uh, one of the Milwaukee writers over at the Journal Sentinel, uh, Tom Hodricourt. And actually, he was in the middle of an interview, and they said, guys, i got to get off the phone. Doug Melvin is just calling me on the other line. <laughs> so he, he hopped off, came back on, and Melvin described the trade as an absolute win-now type of deal. They're sure. going for it. They believe Prince Fielder. They're going to want to keep him around long-term if they can. But having a guy like Zach Greinke go to the National League Central all of a sudden puts not only the Milwaukee Brewers in contention right up there with the Cincinnati Reds, probably the uh, the St. Louis Cardinals as the top contenders, but more importantly, I think the, it gives the NL Central a much better name. It's been a division over the last several years. You guys know this, where at one point, 85 wins got you the division, and St. Louis ended up winning that World Series in 2006. I think it's a very good move for Milwaukee. They had the prospects there. Granke's going to an environment where they're getting a lot of fans, but, you know, it's still, it's still a Packers city. You know, I understand that the team isn't exactly there, but when you're in Wisconsin, you're talking football. The Brewers get a lot of fans, and they have a lot of support, but it's usually very positive support. And I think for a guy like Greinke, that's the environment that he has to be in. If you traded him to a Boston or a New York or a Chicago or a Philadelphia, I I think he would have been miserable, and I think he would have caved under the pressure. But him being in Milwaukee... Very, very good move for him, and I think they're going to be very strong. They added a couple nice pieces to their rotation this offseason, one being Granky, the other being Sean Markham. Uh, yeah. This guy, you know, he he's faced some injury troubles, but he's a very good pitcher, and he came into it a little bit last year. Uh, what, what do you think of the Sean Markham addition along with, with Zach Granky? Well, they gave up, Milwaukee gave up Sean Laurie, who's one of their top prospects to get Markham. And this is a guy, another guy. I, I always love when pitchers from the American League come into the National League, because especially in that first year, they tend to be pretty dominating. So now you have two guys. You have Markham coming from the American League East, where he was a pretty successful pitcher coming to the NL Central. And now you have a guy like Granke, who was a 2009 American League Cy Young Award winner coming to Milwaukee. And they have some solid hitting over there, especially led with Fielder and Braun and you hope that Corey Hart can continue the first half success that he had last year if you're a Brewers fan. That's a very, very improved team. I don't remember the amount of wins they had last year, but it certainly will be shocking, shocking, 
if Milwaukee doesn't get anywhere between 85 and 95 wins next year. Well, the the problem with them has been their pitching staff, and they've had no names on the mound. Uh, you know, you got Giovanni Gallardo. They had Sabathia for you know half the year in 08, but other than that, they really haven't had. Well, Ben Sheets. You talk about Ben Sheets, but, yeah. You know, with right. his injury troubles. But I mean, the last few years they really haven't had anyone on the mound. They they're all about you know hitting and you know Prince Fielder and Corey Hart you mentioned. Uh, so it, it it is nice to see for Brewers fans to have pitching again because I mean pitching wins games no doubt about it especially in the National League. Yeah, and I think they've done a decent job last year to solidify the back end of, the, of that rotation. Look at what John Axford, as a rookie, was able to do. A dominating pitcher over from Canada. And uh, you have Randy Wolf as your fourth starter now, as the guy that uh, is going to eat up a ton of innings for you. Um, and, yeah, Giovanni Gallardo, as long as he can stay healthy, this dude's a dominant pitcher. Throwing Markham to the mix, throwing Zach Granke, and that's as good of a one through four, maybe behind the Philadelphia Phillies, as you'll find in the National League. So I'm, I'm very impressed so far with what they've put together. And then you see whether or not Latroy Hawkins is going to have another successful season. I've never been a huge fan of his. <laughs> um, we, we saw what he, what he did in Chicago wasn't all that uh, wasn't all that great. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy, by the way, uh, their catching prospect, the guy who played a decent amount of games last year. Watch out for him. If he knows how to handle this pitching staff, I think the hitting will come naturally to him because he was brought up more as that hitting prospect rather than a catching prospect. So the sky's the limit right now for Milwaukee, especially next year. Ben Heisler out in D.C. from MLB Network Radio joining us. Neil Malone, Brady Stiff, uh, two guys and a mic. Ben, the Yanks, they don't end up with Cliff Lee. They don't end up with Zach Greinke. Do you think Brian Cashman at this point is just kind of like, what happened? Or is he actually uh, probably genuinely uh, thinking that he has a chance at getting uh, some other ace if, if there are any available? It's hard to sort of figure out what's going through the mind of a Brian Cashman because he always sort of talks about these situations where the Yankees don't end up wise and say, well, you know, it's okay. We had a contingency plan in case this didn't go through. Well, how many contingency plans are you going to have? Are you yeah. at plan G right now? Are you at plan H? Oh, what's going on with <laughs> Brian Cashman? I Listen, the Yankees are still going to be able to sign some people. They're still going to be a contending team. They're always going to be a contending team every year. Um, is it going to be a lot harder now? Oh, you better believe it, because I think Boston right now has clearly established themselves as the ALE's number one team. And I think for number two, I, I think right now it's Toronto over over New York. And I think just because of the age of the Yankees, you always have to worry about injuries. Toronto's an up-and-coming team, very good hitting. I know they got rid of Markham, but they still have a ton of outstanding pitching, especially with Ricardo, uh, that top lefty over in their rotation. The Rays lose uh, so- Carl Crawford? Yeah, Rays are certainly out of the picture now. I think Baltimore is a team on the rise. They played so well for Buck Showalter that last month and a half to two months of the season. And they're not going to be, you know, an 85 win team, but I certainly think maybe a little bit under 500. Baltimore is going to make a few more teams lose this year rather than expect it to be an easy W. Uh, we'll see what they decide to do. Right now, their biggest offseason signings are, uh, Pedro Feliciano and uh, Russell Martin, and I'm not including Mark Pryor, who they signed to a minor oh, yeah, baby. Pryor. So, and Larry so we'll Rothschild. To, and Larry Rothschild, there you go. Um, you know, there was talk for a little bit that they would go after Zambrano, but that just seems like a whole other big mess of issues. Don't get me wrong, I'd love it if they did. I'd yeah, love me to too. See Zambrano trying to handle New York, that would just be an absolute pipe disaster. But I... I <laughs> I, I, we'll see what Brian Cashman has left to do. The, the Yankees are never done. You guys know that. Okay, so Cubs, they have Kerry Wood and they have Carlos Pena as their signings so far. Uh, where, you know what they have in common is a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> that's, very, that's, very, that's a very good point. 
2011, where do you see this Cubs team? Full-on rebuild, sort of a half-rebuild, I mean, or or somehow uh, maybe like a 2011 version of the 2010 Padres. I mean, uh, does this team have any chance? It's, it's, it's a really tough question. I really like the signing of Pena. I know I was giving him a hard time from before, but uh, listen, if this guy can bounce back and hit even 240, hit 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, you're talking about production from the left side of the plate that you haven't had in years with this team. Uh, he would be, and also you bring uh, an outstanding glove over first. I don't, I don't know if it was as good as Lee, but uh, certainly better than any other potential guys that they could have brought in. Well, they're both gold uh, glove winners, so I mean... yeah. Yeah, and you know what, Pena, and Pena is just going to bring that, that pop from the left side of the bat, and he's switching from the hardest division in baseball to one of the easier ones in the NL Central. We'll see you know, whether or not that still remains the case with all that good pitching now. But, look, if, if Pena can have Rudy Jaramillo help him with this week, help him find sort of where all those different holes were coming in over the last few seasons, uh, he obviously wants to be in Chicago, which I think is a big deal. Uh, if he can put up those type of numbers, which is – pretty much near his, his major league average. I don't think it's too much to expect, especially if you can get really hot in June or July. He just needs to stay healthy. Well, and I think the Cubs are probably like maybe, if they stay healthy, they're an 85, maybe 90 win team. If everything works out the way that it's supposed to, if there's no injuries, if, if Ambrano pitches the way he's capable of, if Dempster can have a bounce back year, uh, Randy Wells has a bounce back year. Uh, but then if, if all things fall apart, they could also see themselves at, at 70 wins. And, I, again, I, I've talked to you guys about this before. I, I think the Mike Quaddy hiring was right. I think it's a guy that, that they want to play for. I think his energy is certainly contagious. And, and why not give this guy an opportunity? He, he had him working so hard down the stretch when they had nothing to play for. And, and I think if you just give him a two-year contract, which they did, see what can happen. You know, you're still not going to be at the point where you're contending for a World Series. Maybe they overplay themselves and they can try and sign somebody in the middle of the season trying to get themselves going. Ben, we appreciate you joining us. We're out of time on the show today. So for Ben Heisler joining us, uh, we want to thank Derek Schultz as well from XL 950 in Indianapolis. We want to thank our producer, David Olson, and for Brady Stiff. Uh, we want to wish everybody a happy holiday, and I'll be back in here on Thursday. Tune in to Two Guys and a Mic tomorrow, though, same time. We'll see you, everyone.